couple of weeks ago, we asked the question, are veterinarians real doctors? Well, that sparked a lot of questions and comments from you. And this week, we want to talk about, are we really doctors after all? And how are some of the excuses and the reasons that we say we're real doctors, sometimes when you hold them up to scrutiny, they don't always hold their weight. This week, we're going to talk about a whole lot of that and more on the Veterinary Viewfinder. Welcome back to the Veterinary Viewfinder, the podcast that tackles the toughest topics in veterinary medicine and viewfinders. We really set off a lot of very good positive conversations when we ask a simple question, are veterinarians real doctors? But some of the answers and reasons and arguments that came flooding our way had to do with issues that upon closer scrutiny and really trying to understand, we had questions. So this week, we want to ask you some of those questions, explore some of those troubling topics, and really maybe we'll come together as a profession to better answer these. But before we get into those questions and maybe even a couple of answers, as always, I am one of your co-hosts, Dr. Ernie Ward. And I'm registered veterinary technician, Becky Mosser. And Becky, what I thought was going to be a pretty straightforward podcast talking about a company not giving a discount for veterinarians because they weren't technically defined as a medical professional, really went off into a variety of tangents. Sure. Well, I think, you know, nothing is as straightforward as it seems. And when we are talking about things like regulation and uh, perception, you know, you're never walking a real straight line. (laughs) That's right. And one of the things that we noticed, a conversation that started bubbling up was around this, okay, well, we're medical professionals. And then people started saying, well, are you a medical professional in certain states? And so, Becky, that sparked a lot of questions and threads on social media saying, or, what are vet techs, right? What's a veterinary technician? What's a registered or credential, right? I mean, so tell the viewfinder some of those threads that you were following and some of the questions that arose. Yeah, well, it, it kind of parallels the conversation that we had. And um, I was looking at a particular thread that just was a simple question in terms of in what states are you not required to be licensed to be a veterinary technician? Now, of course, this becomes a title protection and title use issue immediately. And I was scrolling through the comments. I broke rule number one. Um, and <laughs> I was right. like, well, that's not the, that's not true. Like um, South Carolina, North Carolina, Texas. Um, there were many states named that there is actually a recognition of the title veterinary technician as one who is credentialed having graduated from an AVMA program, taken the VTE, and maintained their credential. So I was kind of surprised in that moment, the lack of knowledge about that one particular area of the state law. Okay, so Becky, just to be clear, so you're, people are saying, you know, what states do you have to be a registered veterinary technician to call yourself a vet tech? And you are seeing people giving answers saying, well, in my state, we're not protected, but in actuality, they are protected under law. Right. So kind of the flip question is, in what states do you not have to be credentialed right. to be a veterinary technician was, was the question. Right. And the answers came back with states where you absolutely do have to be credentialed to use that title. 
Um, and 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 so many people considered their state or whatever state they were naming to be a state where you did not need a credential. However, you absolutely do. And obviously, this is the underlying foundational problem with the need for title protection. But the higher level issue to me was these guys don't know the states and the laws in their states. Right. And that's that's what we want to talk about today, viewfinders. But again, go back and put it in context. There's a company that says, hey, we give medical professionals a discount. And then somebody says, well, I'm a vet or I'm a veterinary technician. And they go, well, wait, you're not a medical professional. So that sparks a debate saying, well, what is a medical professional in this case, a veterinary technician? And at the end of the day, there's a lot of confusion around, hey, am I really a medical professional by law? I mean, Becky, that's what this is, is I think, really distilled down to. Sure. And what is the definition of medical professional, right? Yeah. Is it that you work like, you know, a couple of years ago when my husband had heat stroke at the restaurant and passed out, a lot of people came up to help and said, I'm medical. Right. <laughs> and I was like, I don't know what that means. Like, you might be a pharmacy technician now. If you know CPR and he's not breathing, come on at it. I don't care where you work in the mailroom, whatever. But like... What do you do that you consider yourself medical that you're willing to medically intervene in this situation, right? And it kind of, to me, sort of ended up being the same thing is it's like, what is a veterinary professional? Um, where, where are we recognizing and understanding the laws? And what are the risks of us not knowing them? Like, right. veterinary assistants are not governored, but governed, governed <laughs> by any overreaching body. So like they're not held responsible by anybody. If you're not credentialed and answering to a board or a regulatory association, are are you still a medical professional? Okay. So before everyone screams at their their device when I say that, <laughs> please understand that I'm asking this from a devil's advocate outside standpoint. I have my own opinion on this. So um, Becky has an opinion. Veterinary viewfinder is asking that tough, broader question right. of on a higher level, when we look at this, where we are being sort of maybe riding in on a, a little bit of a high horse that we have earned to some degree, are we truly representing the values that we're putting forward to justify our current opinions and our current justification for why we call ourselves or decide we are a medical professional. So again, I'm not accusing. I'm asking this question because there are holes in the arguments that we heard. And if we're willing to be responsible enough to step back and say, how can we work on this? How can we look at this um, without being defensive and take it personal? So that's, I mean, really the goal. Right. And so, again, Becky found that there were a lot of registered, credentialed, licensed veterinary technicians out there and veterinarians who were confused by their state law. So they were saying, yeah. nope, you don't have to have it in our state. We're not protected. But the actuality was. And I think, Becky, even people were coming on to supporting going, wait a second, I've got a screenshot. <laughs> Here's a copy yeah. of my state. And it looks like we are protected. Why are you yeah. saying we're not? So I think that the first thing, viewfinders, is that when we when we do look, we're medical professionals. OK, that's my opinion. Yes. Right. Okay, so, and you're entitled to that discount. But regardless, know the law, know your state laws. And we know there's 
tremendous variation from Pennsylvania to Idaho to California to Florida and to North Carolina. And, and so you need to know what the basic rules and regulations are in your state. So that's I think that's the first thing we want to talk about today is just understanding what it is we're talking about. Because at the end of the day, if you don't know your state law and actually what is in that State Veterinary Medical Board Act, then you're probably not going to have a cogent argument, you know, in my opinion. Right. I mean, and and maybe you do and we want to hear yeah, it and do. that's right, great, right, right. you know, but I, to me it just is is something we need to ask ourselves in terms of um, when we settle or we find our own loopholes, right? And, and for one example you and I were talking about earlier was um, – you know, if you're a doctor, you, there's no way you can do surgery on a family member. Like conflict right. of interest, they pull you out, not allowed. Um, you're not necessarily allowed to work with. There's so many more hospital regulations about family members working together and nepotistic things. And um, we don't maybe necessarily follow that, right? Like so we'll we'll absolutely do surgery on our own pets and our own patients, you know, um, care and we don't draw that online for ourselves. And it was kind of making me think like we stand on this leg of, you know, well, we know all these species and we know all this and we know all that. And we know all the other. And I was thinking, you know, my guess is most medical doctors um, on the human side are very familiar with their state laws. And, and I don't think and I think the medical boards hold them to a higher standard of not making other loopholes for conflicts of interest and um scary patient outcomes, mostly because of lawyers and lawsuits, right? Not because of any right. kind of real self-righteous ethical reasons. And since I think we're not faced with quite as many lawsuits, we haven't really gotten that worried about regulation. But that being said, is it unfair for us to say, well, we're this, we're that, we're the other, you know, we do this, we do that, we do the other, but we also have all of this Swiss cheese that we don't have to really necessarily adhere to because it's not that big a deal. And we decided that. Right. And part of this also stemmed from a comment that I stand by, and I've said it repeatedly over the last 30 years, is that, you know, look, we, we shouldn't directly compare ourselves to human medical professionals. Like, I don't view myself the same equal to a human physician, right? I think it's different. And I said, you got to make peace with that. I mean, we, we serve society in so many other ways that are tremendously valuable and important, and I'm, I'm comfortable with that. So I think that part of this discussion around this element <laughs> is the fact that, you know, hey, look, there are different rules and regulations. And so if we directly compare ourselves to a human physician, well, then can you spay your own cat? Well, one, ex well, exactly. <laughs> right. And I think what isn't discussed is, again, I think we use this broad term of comparing ourselves to the human field without saying really specifically what it is we're comparing. Exactly. And I think education is what people are wanting to really exactly. say is we are as educated as registered nurses in a lot of cases. Um, and as much as the physician that you're going to see. If I'm a board certified veterinarian, I have done a residency. I have put in the hours and the time. So I think we really need to, sh to be specific. Again, you know my favorite quote. Words are important. The difference between lightning and lightning bug. Yep. So <laughs> if we want to say I am as this, we need to be very specific in what it is specifically that we are as. So we are as educated. We are as knowledgeable. We are as dedicated. But we are not as regulated. We are not as uh, differentiated. and or, or we Well, I would say we are more differentiated in some areas, but obviously they tend to be more specialized. And I think we need to take a more micro look at what we're comparing and own 
what we're comparing and what is not comparable. Right. And one of the, and of course, what in that last podcast, what I was saying was we typically think of this in terms of, as Becky said, education and then with compensation. And so it's sure. like, you know, and, and I was going back to something we did in the late 1990s where we were looking at family practitioner average salaries and we were comparing it to, to veterinary salaries. And we we're like, oh, there's a big discrepancy here. And that, you know, again, so everybody I think understands that element. One of the other things that we said um, in, in the, the last episode about, you know, again, are we real doctors or not, was the fact that sometimes I, I gave a couple of examples and Becky shared hers as well, where we would say we were being introduced as a veterinarian or as Dr. Ernie Ward and people would say, well, he's a veterinarian type of thing. And I was like, hey, don't take it personally or whatever. And, and Becky made a truism, one a thing that many of us have said, including myself, where we would say, you know, yeah, I treat all species except for you, right? You being the human being. Yeah. And so I think there's also this, this issue that we have to deal with is like, okay, right now we are claiming, like in that moment, we're claiming... I treat all critters, which is true. We could, but we don't. Now, at the same time, you know, I'm involved with several things around animal welfare that have to do with food animal. You guys know I've, I've been this part of this. I started this Veterinarians Against Ventilation Shutdown. If you don't know about this, go to VAVSD.org. You really need to get up to speed on that. But regardless, I've had many, 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 many hundreds of colleagues say, hey, shut up, sit down because you're a small animal veterinarian. You have yeah. no stake, no say, no experience in food animal, right? So Becky, when people introduce me as a veterinarian that treats all species except for humans, should we then start to qualify that a little further? Well, <laughs> I think about the large animal vets that I know, and most of them do qualify. I'm a large animal veterinarian. Yeah. Um, as opposed to small animal veterinarians who will not, who are just like, I'm a veterinarian, that is assumed I'm small animal. Yeah. Um, so I think that's really interesting. And then like you even said, we can we can micro that down more to exotics and avian and right. all of the different specialty areas where we are that it's like, yeah, I mean, I haven't worked, you know, I know a lot of large animal vets that are like, I can vaccinate your dog, but that's literally about all you want me to do. <laughs> and you probably don't even want me to do that um, with your cat. Like, only your dog. I won't touch your cat. So you're, I, I think that's right. I think it's a little bit of a, a caveat we have to think about when we, now we are educated. We had to go through school. So again, I think it comes down to, I am educated on all species. I don't practice on all species. Right. And I think we're careless with our words um, without thinking, like in a very, very innocent way, we don't realize it. And it's it's reflective of what we have regularly heard and been fed, right? Like these are the one-liners that our previous generation gave us. But I think it is time for us to be accountable and to say, if we want to be treated this way, are we are we leveling ourselves up that way? Or are we kind of coming in a little hot? Right. And, and for me, it is about adhering to the oath and animal welfare. So I think regardless of what species you may specialize or prefer to practice on, I would say that a large animal vet can probably look at a dog and say they're suffering or they're in pain or they're, you know, whatever, the animal welfare issues. So I do think there's a lot of translational animal welfare concepts out there. So 100% yes. That being said, how many veterinarians and veterinary technicians do you know that are truly educated on animal welfare laws in their state, right. in their counties, in their regions, on a federal level? How many are trained to do a forensic exam of any kind to recognize out uh, other signs of abuse that are not, you know, I mean, 
as hard it is to even like imagine or think about, there are animals out there being sexually abused that are not just going to come in as like skinny, like like the yeah. the image that we have in our mind. Like keep in mind, animal abuse can look like Ted Bundy did as a murderer, right? They can yeah. still be cute little dogs that don't, don't look like they're in a fighting situation that absolutely are that or are in a bad situation. So. Um, Again, I think we talk about animal welfare and suffering. You're absolutely right. But do we kind of, again, expand that up and say, are we familiar with these laws? Whereas I know human professionals, and I know you're saying we're not comparing to for tat. It is apples and oranges. But when we think about it, I know they're required to take CE on um, recognizing signs of human um Abuse. Trafficking yeah, of, right. you know, right, right. Of, of abuse. They ask, are you safe at home? I mean, they're, they have these trainings and these laws that regulate them. And I think for us, it's like, are they a healthy body condition? Does this look like it's been going on too long? Like our welfare is very basic as well. And we're not required to expand on that knowledge through CE. Yeah. And it's a really good point. So the regulations obviously are are completely different on food animal, large animal, yeah. small animal, exotic animals. I mean, the, you know, I remember that episode we did where we talked about the guy in Raleigh who had the basement full of venomous snakes, right? Yes. I mean, you know, completely different. In fact, that was a municipal law that actually yeah. they finally got him tripped up on and had to change it and all this stuff. So, you know, again, these are very nuanced things, but it gets just back to that a question again of are we real doctors? And honestly, Becky, this is one area where I will 100% say they have it a little bit easier because dealing with just one species, you can sort of get the laws. Yeah. I, can, I can understand that. Whereas it's like, wait a second, pigs are can be at 95 degrees uh, Fahrenheit, but chickens can't be. Okay, this is getting confusing. But regardless, if you find yourself, again, we're asking these questions because we think that, you know, again, by asking the questions publicly, we can then start to come up with our own answers. So that's for you to decide. The other thing is, you know, Becky, for all these years, I have been one of limited licensure. You know, I think that we could more streamline the educational process if at some point you tracked, you know, and, and look, I know this is still controversial in this day and age, but, you know, 30 plus years ago, even when I was a student, I was saying, wow, what if we just took like the last half and focused on the small animal or the large animal or the food animal or whatever? Like, I think that could could amplify and enhance our education. At the end of that, I think that, you know, then you would be given a limited licensure to say, hey, like you said, you can vaccinate a dog, but you can't do a surgery if you have like a food animal certificate or like license or whatever. So I think there's still utility in that. I know that that is going to not sit well with everybody that listens to our podcast, but I think we have to, at some point, you know, we have to really address this because I, I view it as a public safety issue, right? You know, am I serving the public's needs in a safe fashion uh, and protecting animal welfare? So like for me, if, if you were to say, hey, Ernie, you want to go do a surgery on a cow today? I'm fully licensed to do that, Becky. <laughs> I have no business doing that. Right. Well, and, and I think that you make a great point about, you know, also could, we, you know, when we make those tracks, can we get better education and we come out feeling more prepared, that's right, for think. the area where we are going to practice. So um, I think that's absolutely, I think it's an, a great idea. And again, you know, I think insurance is going to change things for our profession. I think continued specialization, um, VTSs, I think there will be more division as we go. And I think... I think 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, you really did treat all the species, right? Like you really did. It, it started thinking with the concept of like the farm vet who took care of kind of everybody. And then right. pets became more incorporated urban. And so 
uh, I think a long time ago that did hold true. We did treat all the species. I mean, the first veterinarian I worked for, he'd look at anything and he would try. He's like, man, I get medicine and I get anatomy, so let's give it a whirl. Right. You know, and it didn't really matter what it was. Um, but I don't think that happens as much anymore. And I think some of our more new grads are like they work within a space where they're comfortable and they find their own areas where they're specialized. I mean, you had Dr. Danny uh, McVetty and, and Mary Gardner just – blossom out with this like specialized area of euthanasia and, and um, hospice medicine and, and Dr. Alice Villalobos. And, you know, we have really specialized rehabilitative services. And those veterinarians are like, yeah, I couldn't do a surgery if if I if I tried and I don't want to, but I could rehabilitate everything from a hamster to a horse. Right. 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 So I think it is just kind of dwindling down to a micro level and just being honest with ourselves and and truthful because i think when you take a really cast a wide net especially in an argument people are looking to pick that apart like well do you really because you just kind of threw that at me and i'm going to question that back to you um and again that education the specialization and um the advocating is kind of more important i think than throwing blanket statements out there yeah. And, and again, I, this is why I love these conversations with you, Becky, because I think we are touching on so many different little bitty tension points within our profession. And, <laughs> and it's good. And viewfinders, we, we I mean, we can't thank you enough. This is five years going on uh, th that you've been entertaining <laughs> us you know, with these types of questions and comments and allowing us to enter into your headphones or wherever you're listening to this uh, and, and discuss it. Now, so, Becky, as we sort of, you know, in today's conversation, I, I do want to touch on one other element of this, and that is the fact that as we explore, are we veterinarians and what does that mean? And knowing the rules and regulations in your state and, and not directly comparing all that stuff. At the end of the day, Becky, I mean, where do you think that the public still sits on this? You know, like, like, I mean, so here we are all thumping our chest proverbially and going, yes, we are real doctors and we are real nurses and veterinary technicians or whatever we want to call ourselves. But what do you think we sit with the public, the general public out there, you know, not the love, 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 love pets person, but, you know, the, uh, the, the regular person? I think it is based on experience um, and geography. <laughs> I don't know that we could actually say there is like a big blanket view. I think for the most part, the general public sees veterinarians as medical professionals and doctors. Okay. I would argue the semantics are probably more in our own profession. I argue that those at the top of, let's say, for example, Peloton, because no one's sick of talking about this at all, I know. <laughs> um, it's the new COVID. Probably didn't have a dog. You know, like the people right. who sat in the room and said, this is a really cool idea. We'll give it to healthcare professionals because let's get on the COVID healthcare professional bandwagon. Right. Just didn't have a pet or a family member who's a veterinarian. So I think it becomes down to what your personal experience is. Because I think anybody who had a good relationship with their veterinarian and experience with pets would be like, oh, we can't forget these professionals or that professionals. I mean, I I argue now our social workers, our healthcare professionals, are they going to be included? Are dental technicians going to be included? So I think there are probably more fields than just us that are, you know, um, a little bit yeah, raw about this right now. Yeah, but yeah. because it's personal to us, it's all we're seeing. Yeah. And that's a really good point. I was, uh, you know, talking to a person, uh, well, 
a colleague of ours who is a therapist. She works with veterinarians dealing with burnout in particular. And she was talking about this exact issue, Becky. She felt like, you know, she was kind of being left out of the conversation because she wasn't working in a hospital or clinic setting. So I, I thought that was interesting. And again, she wasn't like complaining like maybe I would complain because after all, she's a very well-educated and articulate therapist. But in her own way of speaking, she was saying, you know, one of the things, don't forget, we're also being overlooked. So I, I think you're right. Yeah. It's raw with a lot of people out there. Right. And, and, and you know, and I, I, I 100% agree with you, Becky. I think yeah, the dividing line for me is if you've ever had a pet, then you view a veterinarian and a veterinary technician as medical professionals. If you've never had a pet, or, you know, or never had your own pet where you actually bonded with them. And I can't imagine that person, but I guess they exist. That's because we don't want to know them. <laughs> that's what we don't want to know them. Sorry. Then you probably view us as like a mechanic or, you know, just some person out there in society that does something that somebody needs sometimes, but I fix my own car, right? <laughs> yeah, and it might be a little bit easier for me as a technician to see that because I have so regularly seen technicians be left out of the conversation until yeah. you bring it to someone's attention. And they literally are like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I overlooked that. Like, you're so right. Um, they should there should be this voice on the at the table. Um, so, again, I think there is sometimes an innocent oversight. And again, that comes on experience. So. I think sometimes we get so wrapped up in an idea, we, we're so close to it, we don't see the bigger picture, and sometimes we just need people to point it out. Um, I just I just think it's worth us looking at, you know, our own personal justifications and, um, and to look to inside and say, what can we do better to not end up in this situation again because we have an educated public? And two, to look at our own reactions, right, to things. Because if we are getting really irate or we are feeling really indignant or, or um, you know, I don't know, maybe like overlooked, then how do we get seen better, right, instead of just kind of complaining about it? And and do we have all of the justifications we've made? Right. And, and again, I, I love that conversation that was going on with social media around the Peloton discount. Uh, again, as I full transparency, you know, I've had a Peloton since they launched. I love that kind of thing. That's my jam as Becky says. But for me, you know, where where I had a problem, like you, Becky, and I think a lot of our colleagues, was when it became slanderous and it became very hurtful and harmful and all those things that we complain about when clients direct or pet parents direct that at us. You know, we're like, ah, this yep. is so wrong. And yet I saw a lot of that vehemence being projected towards Peloton. And that's where I think Becky and I really wanted that other conversation to, to lead us to like, hey, you can disagree and you and definitely raise that flag, but do it in a respectful fashion because that's what we're asking the world to do to us. You know, I guess that's kind of what I mean by like, look inside. I mean, if you're having some kind of, you know, reaction to something, I think it's important to acknowledge it and then like look at why it's it is so triggering for you um, and to kind of work on that within yourself because you're going to continue to find these circumstances, but it, it it may ultimately be something that that isn't really what it is. I hate to say that, yeah, but, it, yeah. you know, um, it's it's real for you. I don't mean that. But in in terms of are are we getting a little indignant about something we we shouldn't? Yeah. And again, you know, Viewfinder says we started off. I think that what we really hope to 
spark the conversations going forward is let's really know ourselves better, right? So on a personal level, but now on a professional level, know your laws, know your rules yeah. and regulations, know the definitions that you must adhere to, understand animal welfare, if, again, if that's your thing, right? Understand that we are this really broad spectrum of veterinary medical professionals and that, you know, understand where you fit into that spectrum. And then of course, and all manner amplify it, you know, blow it out, you know, make that rainbow really big and broad. Uh, but, but, you know, again, I think that like you found Becky, I mean, what really triggered this entire conversation was the fact that you were like, Hey, I think a lot of our colleagues don't really understand like the legal definitions of what a veterinarian or a veterinary technician is. Yeah. And that's exactly, that's exactly right. And there, I think there are a lot of laws and regulations that we aren't that familiar with or terminologies or things that are a little bit confusing that we just don't look into. It's not interesting. Um, and I think there can be some lack of enforcement on the part of the veterinary medical boards that make it, you know, just not that big a deal. And is that really okay? Like, it, like, is it really, are we kind of justifying our own loopholes? Right. And as you can see, viewfinders, if you haven't been following Becky and I for the last five years, this is why we make a big deal about like the VNI and title protection and starting yeah. to get some kind of general like pathway to becoming a registered licensed veterinary technician because it is so fragmented out there that it is confusing. So, hey, I cut you some slack if you're in a state where it's like ambiguous, but I do think you still need to read that state veterinary medical act and learn it inside and out as best you can. Yeah, it's even more important to be involved if your laws are ambiguous um, or if your practice act was written in 1925 and hasn't been updated <laughs> since then. Because, you know, if it's it, like any other political process, you, you feel small and it feels like, you know, you have no influence on it. But again, I think that's kind of where we become disenchanted with being on top of them and making sure that we are our best representing them. And again, like regulatory stuff is no fun, but it is absolutely part of what we need to do. And I guess, you know, like like coming full circle, our question is, is are we taking rights and pride in, in in being this umbrella term when we really look on a micro level are we doing as as great a job as we put out there well that is the question we want to hear from you guys so viewfinders let us know what you think you know what questions do you have about our profession what are your answers what are some of the things that you're encountering in the real world and finally you know what do you think that the pet owning public really thinks about us you know are we the same as their family physician or are we slightly different and does it matter at all because maybe at the end of the day at least in my opinion becky i don't think it matters at all what matters most is how you perceive yourself and you are awesome and so whoever needed to hear that today you heard it <laughs> so take that yeah. and forget what the rest of the world and maybe stop scrolling so much i think that's one of the things i'm learning stop <laughs> scrolling see but we wouldn't have these conversations if i didn't get in the comments so oh, i right. i do it for you oh thank you so much well viewfinders let us know reach out to us on social media we're on instagram veterinary viewfinder facebook veterinary viewfinder over on twitter at vet viewfinder let us know what you'd like to hear more conversations about and we'd really like to know how you're handling this whole situation again forget the specific discount program but just what about the bigger picture of are we real doctors and real nurses and real whatever and how does that make you feel and what can we do to make it better that's really what i want to say so until next week becky i guess that's all that's it bye bye